Welcome to season two of the Testimony Service Podcast, brought to you by Engage. Engage is a brand I started at the end of last year to serve as a reminder for us to engage with God, to actually cultivate a personal relationship with Him, and then to engage others, to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ to those around us. And one of the ways we engage others is through our testimonies. So here is episode 212, Grits and Glory. Yeah, my name is Corey Yard. I live in Colorado Springs, Colorado. I work for a nonprofit called World Challenge. I do faith advancement and outreach and a few other things. I also do voiceover work. I do Christian hip hop. I am a sneakerhead, so I buy and sell shoes and wear shoes and collect shoes and don't wear them and all kind of crazy stuff. I like shoes. I've been married to my amazing wife for six years, and I helped plant a church in Colorado Springs called Zeal Church, where I'm currently serving as uh, one of their uh, worship leaders, not really with an official title, but I am uh, one of the main guys on stage singing. So yeah, that's a little right now action for me. And so, yeah, we'll just jump into my testimony. Uh, I was born in Washington, D.C. At the age of five months old, uh, my dad went to jail for attempted murder. He was walking down the street carrying my older brother, Michael, and a guy who had a problem with my dad walked up to him and started punching my dad in the face while my dad was carrying my older brother. And so my dad put my older brother down, ran out the house, or ran into the house and grabbed a gun, found a guy and shot him up. My dad went to jail for 13 years. And so from five months to six years old, I was in Washington, DC still. My mom ended up marrying a guy who was in the military and he got stationed in Colorado Springs and moved my family up here where I have been since. But uh, when he got here, he started abusing my mom, started putting his hands on her. He was a drug dealer, so he sold drugs, got kicked out the military for selling weed. I remember several times seeing women in the house, and he'd send us to our room, and we couldn't come out, but knowing that there was other women in the house, porn, magazines all over the place. I mean, the guy was just a terrible example of a fatherly figure. And one crazy night, we heard my mom screaming, and my mom was fighting for her life as he had a, a knife and was trying to kill her. So we ran out the house, my siblings and I, and beating on our neighbor's doors until somebody came. Praise God, they called the police and the police came before anything happened and he went off to jail. Shortly after, he and my mom ended up getting divorced and probably a few months after that, my mom ended up marrying a guy, not marrying, she ended up getting into a relationship with a guy who was amazing to her, but who started abusing my siblings and I. So at the age of 11, I was introduced to marijuana, pornography, and alcohol. And it wasn't something that I really had a choice. It wasn't, a, I didn't have any say in this. Like, oh, this is something that I want to do. Hey, let me try this. It was all things that were forced upon myself and my siblings. I remember that we'd be in the house chilling and this guy would come over when my mom's at work and 
you make my siblings and I fight each other for food. If you know, oh, if y'all want to eat, then and y'all better, you know, he put us on the top bunk bed or go to the top bunk bed. Y'all want to eat? Mm-hmm. Uh, then the first person, the last man standing on the top bunk, is to eat. So we throwing each other, trying to throw each other off the top bunk. And I remember one time he was mad at us for something and threw us all out on our on our balcony in the winter while it was snowing. I mean, naked. And we were out there, I want to say for like an hour. I don't remember how long it it was, but we were freezing and crying. But this is some of the stuff that we we went through. And when it came to the alcohol and the drugs or pornography, it was it was something that we either did or he would beat us for it. So we either do it or he put his hands on us if we didn't do it. It was absolutely crazy. And so with my dad, with my stepfather that my mom ended up divorcing and with her boyfriend right after my stepfather, I just had continuous bad examples of fatherly figures in my life. So I grew up a very, very angry kid with this and not really having a fatherly figure in place to show me how to be a young boy uh, to a young man. And so I remember as early as the third grade, me acting out. And that was because there was a, I was my first male teacher, you know, my mom, she worked quite a bit. And especially at night, she'd be there before we go to school. And then we'd get out of school and she's already either at work or on her way to work. And so we'd be home by herself for hours, either by herself or with her boyfriend My mom, who's an incredible mom, she just was working to make sure she was providing for her boys. And so uh, let's fast forward to fifth grade. I started to find my guys. I remember we started this little group called the Hot Boys, you know, like Lil Wayne and BG and Juvenile. You know, the Hot Boys. And we were just troublemakers. And so I remember the elementary school that I was at calling in the gang unit to a small group of kids at at my elementary school because they already started to see the direction that we were headed. So they called in the gang unit, which brought a gang prevention unit to us for us to vibe and hang out and meet some of the officers and hear some of their stories, as well as some local gang members in town who were no longer Uh, a part of that life, but some of them who had actually given their lives to God and had completely changed their ways and them telling us the stories and trying to get us to avoid the gang life. And so it was interesting just looking back at that, like, wow, the trajectory that I was on and how much the enemy was working to build my future. So fast forward to sixth grade, this is where I get introduced to gangs and actually started to have an understanding of what gangs were. There were Bloods, there were Crips and GDs at the school that I was in. And I hung out very closely with some of the Crips, but a lot of the GDs, a lot of the gangster disciples. And so sixth grade, still wilding, get expelled. Seventh grade, still wilding out, get expelled. And then Eighth year was my wildest year. I mean, I was spitting on my teachers. I was fighting all the time. And like I said, this uh, by eighth grade, the gang life was, it was picking up. There was a lot of black on Hispanic 
fights that we'd have, black and Mexicans. And a group of Mexicans ended up jumping a friend of mine at school. And so a bunch of us after school, it was probably 25, 30 of us. We just got together and we would start walking, either walking each other home or we would just mob deep looking for any Mexicans that we could find. We ended up in eighth grade, or this was seventh grade, in seventh grade, walking all the way up the street looking for some Mexicans. And we, we found a big group of them. And most of them were in cars. They had some of their older friends with them and they had guns. And come to find out, some people that I was with had guns too. And this is in eighth grade. You got eighth graders, seventh graders walking around with guns. It's just looking back at it, it's mind blowing. Get expelled my eighth grade year as well. So every single year of my middle school, I was expelled before the school ended. I still graduated, but I didn't get to walk. I didn't get to participate in any of the dances or the parties. They were like, we are done with Corey. And that was it. During the summer of my eighth grade year, some friends of mine wanted to start a rap group called the Rule Boy Click. R-U-B-O-I, R-B-C for short. It was probably 10 of us. My brother and I joined as the R&B singers of the group, which is funny. We started making music and not making music at the same time. I think we recorded like two songs in the three years that I was a part of this rap group. But what it was, was a bunch of the cool kids that people loved. I'm a class clown. People are always attracted to funny people. And so was my older brother, super funny. But some of the other guys, parents had money. One of my guys had gold. He had a gold grill. And that's around the time when Nelly dropped the grill. So on the smile for me, daddy, what you looking at? I want to see your grill. Like, and so if anybody who had a grill that was your age, you was like, yo, buddy got a grill. Everybody wanted a grill. But we didn't want the fake ones that you can go get out the little vending machine for 50 cent. Nah, we wanted a real, and Buddy had a real gold grill, man. So it was just a bunch of cool kids. We all could dance. You know, there was like 10 of us. Then it grew. It was probably like 25 of us. And we would just go to parties. We get the parties hype. People would call us like, hey, Corey, I'm throwing a party tonight. Could you please invite as many people as you know? And I'll post a message on MySpace at the time and it will blow up. There'd be tons of people who would end up coming to the parties because we said so. And so what that did was just attract more and more people to us and what we were. Because we weren't a gang, but we were cool and we had a brotherhood like a gang. And so then it started growing and growing. It ended up being about 40 of us at the beginning of my freshman year in high school. This thing is crazy. Like we need some structure. We started rocking camouflage and a lot of us wore backpacks. Like we started the local backpack trend out here and we were still very close to the GDs. Like a lot of my friends were gangster disciples. So there ended up being this big brawl in the hallway. It was some crip dudes versus some GD cats. And we just went at it in the hallways at school. Well, they ended up expelling probably 40, 50 of us. At the time, whoever was fighting in the hallway, they expelled each and every single one of us. I ended up having to go into a alternative program in order to be accepted back into any public school in Colorado. Once I graduated 
from that and I was allowed back into public school, my mom put me in this small Christian like charter. It wasn't Christian. It was just ran by Christians. And they had a building and it was probably 70, 80 kids from kindergarten to 12th grade. And so my mom sent my brother and I there. She heard about it somehow. And she was like, cool, maybe this would be a good environment for my boys. And we went in that joint and cut up. I mean, I mean, they, they, it's a Christian family. So they got, they got nothing but grace. So we smoking in the classroom. We skipping school to smoke in the back, like weed over here. And buddies drinking alcohol and we fighting. So a lot of those schools end up being like an alternative school for all the bad kids. Their parents are like, oh, we're going to put you here because so-and-so is a pastor and that'll be good for you. And so we go in there with all these other gangbanging cats and we just beating them all up. Like, like my brother and I, we beating them up. A lot of some of the cats that went to that school, we ended up recruiting them to rule boys and hanging out with them. And they ended up being some, some brawlers on our squad. And so this thing, like it kept growing even in the alternative school. We were popping off so bad in the school that the directors were like, they're probably in their 60s, in their mid 60s. They're like, we have no idea what to do with these bad kids. And so they called their older daughter down. Um, this is the, the Walton families. Do you know Clarissa Walton? And yeah, so though it's it was the Walton school. They called their daughter Clarissa. Homegirl comes down and growing up the way we grew up, you you're taught not to fear anybody. You're not, to, you're taught not to fear anything. And so that was the same mindset we had, but she comes down with this different power, with this different authority. And she laying hands, she's speaking in tongues. She declaring things over our lives. She's breaking stuff off of us. And we're like, what the heck is this? Like, what is this? Like literally she look at us. We, we see her looking at us and we'd be like, and, oh, snap, she's still looking. Like, and we don't know why we scared of this lady. Like, she got the fire in her eyes. But it's the spirit of God that's moving in there. So the school is so small that you have to bring your own food. If you show up early enough, you can make breakfast. And sometimes they'd have milk and cereal and stuff because some kids just didn't have it at home. But they'd have pots and pans. And you could legit cook if you wanted to. Like, I would make, like, eggs and stuff if I came early. So... I show up to school late, but I ain't eat breakfast and I had stuff to make cheese grits. And they're like, nah, go to class, you late. And I'm like, all right, for sure. So I go to class and I'm in the kitchen, like mm, whipping these grits up, you know what I'm saying? Throw the cheese in, the salt, the butter. And the director come upstairs and he's like, Corey, I told you to go to class. Go to class. Like you're not finishing your grits. You're not gonna eat these, go to class. I tell him no. So he asked me two more times. I kept saying no. So he was like, okay. So he's like, I'm going to get my daughter. I'm like, go get her. Like, <laughs> I'm about to make these grits, bro. I'm hungry. So he goes and grabs his daughter and she comes back and she's like, didn't my dad tell you to go to class? I'm like, yeah. And I told him no. She was like, Corey, get your butt to class. I said, no. So... <laughs> She, she goes like this. She said, okay, I got something for you. You know, that means whooping. That means I'm getting a, like, if your mom said, I got something for you, if you're, you getting a whooping. So I'm like, 
You got something for me. I dare you to have something for me. I dare you. So I'm making the grits. I'm almost done. And my older brother comes in and he's like, I guess he went to the bathroom, but he heard something. So he grabs me. He's like, Corey, come here, come here. So I'm like, what? So I go out, you know, I put the grits in a bowl and I go and he cracks his door and she's in the room in one of the empty rooms praying that I do not enjoy my grits. Praying that I don't enjoy my grits and God like punishes me for my disobedience. And I'm like, oh, she bugging. I'm like, I'm about to enjoy these grits. So I go sit down, I eat my food. You know what happened? I enjoyed them. Them grits was busting. They were so good. So I go back to class now and I take a nap. So not only do I show up late, I'm super disobedient, like five times when they ask me, and then I show up to class and I take a nap. I wake up to my stomach growling so loud that everybody in the classroom can hear it. And you know, black folk, we hear that stuff and we like, ah, he got a dinosaur in his stomach. So the whole class is clowning me. And I'm like, yo, y'all stupid. My stomach literally making all these. I've never heard my stomach make noises that loud ever again. Extremely loud. I started throwing up grits balls probably about the size of golf balls. They were humongous. And the school was so small that if one classroom was disrupted, the whole school, like at least the high school was done. There was no getting us back on focus for the, I'm talking the whole day. School was basically over. We just chilled the rest of the day because one incident happened. And so I'm throwing up grits balls. The whole class is screaming at the top of the youngs, laughing and crying. And so all the other classrooms come out to see what's going on. They think it's a fight, but I'm throwing up grits balls. And so the administration comes from upstairs and she sees me throwing up and she starts rejoicing. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I'm like, oh my gosh, like what the heck? And so she's doing this as I'm throwing up, I'm bugging out because I'm literally sick. And so Michael is, Michael's watching this and he's looking at her. She's like, thank you, Jesus, for answering a prayer. My older brother is in shock. He is in awe. Like, hold on, she prayed? Like, I heard the prayer. And then this happened. So then she starts talking to her. She invites us to church. I give her the middle finger. I'm like, forget you. I ain't going to no church. Like, you're going to make me throw up. You're going to pray to God and make me throw up. And so my older brother's like, yeah, I'm in there. Like, I want to know about this guy. Like, <laughs> he can make cats throw up. I'm trying to make people throw up too. Like, what's up? So Michael goes and he comes home. It's late. It's during the weekday and they're having a revival. You know how them joints go. So it's late. He comes home. He's like, Corey, bro, you have to come to this revival. And I'm like, why? He was like, bro, I don't, I don't know. Like, it was just good. And he fed me like, we went, they took me to Popeye's. So I'm like, oh, they took you to Popeye's. Like, I'm trying to go then. Like, and you saying church was good? So me, my brother, and another homie, little Mikey, we ended up going to this service. And by this time, the rule boy clicked. We started putting structure and ranking in place. So the two dudes that created it, 
we ended up calling them the chairman. Below them were the bosses. Below the bosses were the generals, all the way down to the foot soldiers. Well, my brother and I, we were bosses. We were the second second highest rank in this game, besides the two dudes that created it. And things are popping. Like we're fighting more. There's more attraction. A lot of more people, uh, more people are knowing about us. But I have this encounter with God the night of this revival. So we, my brother and I go with one of the homies and the message was for us. I mean, literally, like they, they knew we were coming. And so they didn't care about whoever else was in the building. They just knew they had to say something to us from God. Like, yes, it was, I do believe it was from God, but it was like, oh, Corey Michael coming? Oh, let's talk about disobedience. Let's talk about gang stuff. Let's talk about smoking weed, drinking alcohol, having sex. Like literally, they just went down the list and ate us alive. But it hit us. It really did. Like we were slobbing, snotting, crying. Like I heard the gospel for the first time that night. And I really encountered Jesus. Like it became real to me. Like I went to church growing up every once in a while. I prayed literally every single night before I went to sleep growing up because my grandma said, that's what you do. So that's what we did, not knowing why. And so we have this encounter and we're like, so what do we have to do? And they're like, change everything. You can't smoke no more. You can't drink. You can't do this. Like, this is what following God is. And we was like, hey, we're with it. We started this process and journey of discipleship. We stopped cussing. We stopped smoking and drinking and a lot of the other stuff that we was doing. So they brought us to this event. I remember they were like, oh, now we got to baptize you in tongues. And so they brought out these trash cans and it was like, just start saying whatever come to your head. <laughs> so we sitting over the trash can, like, like slopping <laughs> and we're like, oh, we about to learn. It was weird. I, that, that was, I don't know. I don't know what that was, but. What they did that day, that was weird. I speak in tongues, by the way. And, but that was weird. <laughs> I was like, what is this? <laughs> so we went on this journey of discipleship for the next couple of months. Chilled out with a lot of the gang stuff. Started bringing more of those guys to church. And we find out at the end of the year, they're shutting the school down. And they're shutting their church down because they're moving back to Alabama. So we, as the end of the year approaches, they're like, man, we love you guys keep going strong for the Lord, all this other stuff. And this is, I forgot his name, but this is so-and-so. He's going to take it from here and continue. He's taking over the church or whatever, or you guys can go to his church. And we was like, we don't know this cat. Like, we don't know him. So we, we want to rock with y'all, but y'all moving. And so we're going to figure it out on our own. And what that ended up doing was it, it caused us to go back to what we knew and that was the streets. And while we weren't as ruthless and as crazy, I'd say, as we were before, we were still very active and involved in that lifestyle. And so we still didn't cuss. I stopped smoking and drinking and all of that during that time. But we were still gangbanging and fighting and having sex. But there were certain things that I was like, man, like we, we back to our sinful lifestyle, but we just ain't going to be all the way sinful. <laughs> like, <laughs> we ain't going to sin a lot. We just going to do a little bit of sins. You know what I'm saying? 
And so <laughs> we just picked and choose what sins that we was going to do. Cussing wasn't one of them. Drinking, smoking, like certain things we wouldn't do, including when we fought, there was a little bit more grace that we had for the people that we was fighting. Like if I'm running up on like your family, Martina, your brothers, let's say you got five brothers and it's my squad. If your brothers didn't want to fight, we wouldn't fight them. We wouldn't just be like, nah, forget that. We about to beat y'all up. Like if they wanted to fight, we gonna fight them. But as soon as it got to the point where we was dogging them, like beating them bad and they were like, stop, we would stop. Or if we already got you bloodied up, we ain't going to beat you into a coma. But that was like, like, oh, you know, like I'm, I'm still like a Christian a little bit. So I'm not going to beat you up that bad. <laughs> it's, it was weird. But that was our way of justifying going back to that life was that we wouldn't go all the way there. And so this group of 40 ended up becoming 60, 100, 150, 200. 250 plus over the span of two years. And my brother and I, with a handful of other guys, were running this gang. It was the biggest and fastest growing gang in Colorado Springs. That was from the CSPD, the Colorado Springs Police Department. And so let's fast forward to the beginning of my junior year that summer. This is when the gang is really starting to explode and get bigger. By this time, I had got into this brawl and I got stabbed in my arm. I had been shot at multiple times. I remember this one situation, we were walking to this party and this car drove past and it was this dude that we was beefing with. We see him driving in the car and so we flipping him off and whoop de doo So he swings back around, it's me, my brother and the homie's son and he hops out his car. So we like, what's popping bro? Like we getting ready to jump this dude and he pulls out a gun. He's literally right in front of us. And so it's like, ah, we could run or we're going to get shot anyway. So we just, we just stand there, like sh sh literally froze up. And he's like, yeah, what's up now, y'all? What's up now? Y'all ain't talking that tough stuff now? And literally, mouth was closed. We had nothing to say. We ain't trying to get shot. We ain't trying to die on the side of the road. And he walks up directly to me and puts the gun right on my forehead. He was like, what's up, bro? And pushing it literally got my head like this. Like, are oh, you talking all that stuff now? But you ain't saying nothing, huh? And I'm sitting there scared for my life. And he goes to my brother. He goes to the son. And he says what he has to say. And he gets in his car and he, he leaves. And we're shook. We still end up going to the party. But <laughs> we were shook. That was a defining moment for me being that close, I felt like to death. Yes, I've been shot at and literally you can hear the bullets whizzing past you. It's one of the craziest sounds as you're getting shot at and you're running away from bullets running past you. But that moment having a gun to my head, it was crazy. I said in my song story, I said, uh, too many times my life flashed, but I survived. Cold still against my head between my eyes. And I remember when I wrote that song, just tears coming down my face just because of how many times I have came so close to death, but I'm still here by the grace of God. But things continued being crazier and crazier during that time. And I started to realize how much I was becoming like the men in my life that I hated, that I grew up hating. I wanted to marry the girl that I was with 
And I was like, man, I can't marry her. I wanted kids. I want kids. I'm not wanted. I still want kids. But I'm like, man, we're going to have kids together. But I'm going to be dead or in jail if I keep up this lifestyle. I'm going to end up becoming just like the men that I've seen in my life. And I didn't want that. And so that was one of the things that started to, I felt like God was using to shift my heart. The other one was my mom ended up finding out really how involved we were in the gang activity in the city. Literally, it was it was God for sure. Three days in a row, three different people came up to my mom. She was a receptionist at the time. And they're like, hey, your boys are pitch black and killer killer, aren't they? And she's like, yeah, those are my boys. And this lady goes, oh, your boys are the ones that put my son in the hospital and did this and did that. And my mom was like, oh, absolutely not. My boys, don't, they don't get down like that. And they had a conversation and she left. The next day, same exact situation, a different lady, same exact story. So my mom was like, Man, what, what is going on? The next day, it was a guy who was like, oh, you're Corey and Michael's mom. Okay, blah, 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 and started spilling the beans, telling her everything. And so my mom finally comes home from work and she's in tears. Like, this is how your dad went to jail. Like, I have seen this growing up in Southeast DC, how bad this gets. Like, I knew y'all was out here in the streets a little bit, but I didn't know y'all were running a gang. And she just asked us to stop. So my brothers and I, we calmed down. We were a little bit more secretive and selective in the things that we did, but we were still out there in the streets. The last situation that really was defining for both my brother and my life was Michael was at a restaurant with some friends and this off-duty police officer walked in. And this officer sees them just chilling and he decides to sit down at the table right next to them and start this ha having this conversation. So he's talking and he's like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm a cop. And they're like, oh, oh no, I won't mess with cops. And so they start trying to get away from him, but he kept sparking the conversation and told them like, yeah, you know, I am over the gang unit for Colorado Springs. And so they start asking them questions like, okay, so what are, who are the gangs that y'all are cracking down on and y'all are focused on? And like, well, we got the Bloods, we got the Crips, we got the GDs, we're doing this with them. We got them under surveillance. Like we know what's happening here. Like, you know, like this is the stuff that's happening in the Springs. We've already cracked down. These guys are in jail. So it's, it's going good. But the gang that we are focused on right now is the Rude Boy Click, the RBC. They are the biggest and fastest growing gang in the city. And we are focusing our energy and efforts to making sure that they don't grow anymore. Then he started dropping names. He mentioned my name and he mentioned another one of my guy's names who was one of the heads of the group. And there was a girl that was with my brother and she was like, oh, that's crazy. Like, well, he's a part of the Rude Boy clique and his brother is Corey. His brother's pitch black. And his cousin is so-and-so. And the officer's like, wow, and mind you, this is like, that's, that's street code. For one, you don't talk to police, but then you don't snitch. She straight up snitched. She was like, oh, he's one officer. Talk to him. Talk to this guy. And so the officer started going in on my brother. And a lot of it was fear tactics. He started explaining, like, you can get life in prison 
for starting a gang because of his influence. And some of that is true and some of it isn't. But he started just going in on all of this stuff. And my brother was like, yeah, I'm good. I'm done. (laughs) And so that same day, he hit us all up and was like, hey, I'm done with this. Y'all got an issue. I'll kill you. So leave me alone. And he was out that same day. And so with all of these things cracking down, my mom knowing, me wanting to grow up to be a better man and to make this relationship with this girl work. And then this cop being like, yo, we know what's popping in the city with y'all. And him, them saying my name, I was like, I have to be done with this. And so I think that initial encounter with God, my freshman year, there was just continual seeds. Because even in that time, there was something like your parents hit us up. I don't know how they got our contact, but they hit us up like, hey, there's a revival. I don't know. And Tay Love ended up coming and we brought a few of the guys because we're like, oh, they're going to be food. We can go to church for one night because they're going to feed us. And sure enough, we ate and we was chilling with y'all. And so I hit up the gang and I'm like, I'm done with this lifestyle. If you got an issue, we can fight, but I'm done and I'm living for Jesus. And I have never turned back. That was it. That was it for me. And when I think now and when I look back to all the little situations and all the things that happened, I realized just how much God had a hold of my life and how much he was protecting me. It was the summer of my eighth grade year. And this is when Rude Boy was starting to grow and pick up. We went to this club. It was an adult club. And for some reason, they let us in the club. Like I'm a 13 in the club. They smoking in the club and drinking. Like it's a club club, it's an adult club. And my older brother and I were in this club with some of the older guys we were with. And we ended, we're dancing with some of the older women there. They just weird. They're like, oh, look at the little cute boy. Let me twerk on him. It's like, hold up, you pedophile. You're like 29. Like, what are you doing? Twerking on a 13 year old. That's not cute. That is na- that's called nasty. And that's called jail time. What are you doing? So we end up getting into a fight with some of the older guys in the club. It spills out into the parking lot. And the guys I'm with, we're shooting. Like everybody's shooting guns. We hit the floor. We ended up hopping in the whip and we speed off. Well, we recognize that we're driving away. And one of the guys that we were shooting at and was shooting at us is driving away in the same direction. So it ended up just becoming this chase on the south side of the Springs over by Memorial Park and that area. So we're literally zipping up and down these streets and he gets some distance on us. He takes off down this residential street going like 80, 90 miles per hour, dips on us. He had a faster car. So he hops out his car and he's like in front of this car, like right by the sidewalk. And he had his gun aimed directly at our car. We pull up and his gun is already aimed, but now he's fidgeting with his gun. He pops the clip out. The guys that's in my car, they hop out. Every single one of them had guns, but Michael and I. And they squeeze the trigger and their gun jam. So not only did the guy who we were chasing his gun jam, because he he, could have lit our car up way before we even pulled up. So not only does his gun jam, but our guns jam. So they're all fidgeting with their guns again and all the guns jam again, like right there on spot. For one, we could have all been dead or 
who knows? We could have been accessory to murder or whatever. Regardless, we would have been in juvie. So we ended up, it was this awkward kind of silence moment because we just tried to kill a dude and he just tried to kill us and nothing worked. And so we all just hop in our cars and we leave. But that situation was crazy looking back at it because God had his hand all over us. Like literally he was, there is no way, like four, five, six guns jam. That does not happen at the same time. It does not happen. That guy who was driving, he's saved now. And I saw him when I, I was going to go get a haircut. And I'm like, Tom, what up, bro? And so he's like, bro, man, I'm doing good, man. I, you know, I gave my life to the Lord and I'm going to this church. And he said, hey, he said, I've been thinking about this for a while and it's been bothering me because it sounds so crazy. I don't know if it's true. And I knew exactly what he was talking about. I said, he said, you remember when I said, when we was at, we was at club 33 and we started shooting in the parking lot. Then we ended up chasing that guy and y'all hopped out the car and all y'all guns jammed. He was like, bro, I've been going crazy thinking about that because it sounds so wild that I don't know if it's true. And I started tearing up because I have so many crazy stories like that, that if somebody else doesn't recall it for me, I think I'm crazy. Cause I'm like, there is no way that happened. Because it's some stuff like that is that's a miracle. Just looking back, I realized just how much God had a hold of my life and the plan that he had on my life and how much the enemy was working to stop that and to get me in his hands and his clutches. And I'm just grateful. I am just beyond grateful. I've been at the same job now seven years. Like I said I helped just plant a church. I'm married to an amazing woman. Uh, her name is Ryan Darling. She's an amazing singer, songwriter, musician. Go look her up. And just the blessings have just been non-stop. I've had many reasons, I would say, according to like the world and man's standard, to turn around and run from God, from church hurts to people hurts to things just happening in my life that I could blame God for. But when I look at everything that he's done for me, there is no way, there is no way I can turn my back and run now. And so I'm just, I'm grateful for where I'm at. I'm grateful for the life I have and for the story that God has given me. I have been able to share my story in prisons probably 50, 60, 70 times. It's up there. I've been in juvenile and adult prisons sharing my story of what God has done through me. And my thing is, if he could do it for me, he could do it for you. Like whatever he can do for me, he can do for you. And then even when it comes to the hard times, like I got Romans 8, 28, it's just a little baby tattoo tatted on my arm. And that's the, all things work together for the good of them that love the Lord to those who are the called according to his purpose. And that scripture says that even the negative things in our life, God makes work for our good. I mean, that's what this hoodie is too. It's, my, it's literally a picture of my thumb coming out of water. And that symbolizes that though things look crazy around me, I am okay because God has me. And that has been my story my whole life. He has always provided and I've never turned my back on him. I've never raised my lips to curse him. I have never, this is God's fault. No, 
none of that because he has always came through time and time again. And my story is a different one than I know a lot of people have, but it's not unique that he saved me. It is, but it's, it's, it's not because he does it for each and every single one of us. And so my story is, I feel like one of those that many others have looked at and have been like, especially with those who don't have such a crazy story as mine. It's like, if God can do it for that crazy dude, he can definitely do it for me. Wow, man. Like, that's crazy, man. I've known you for, I don't know how many years, but. Years. I mean, I knew there was something, but I didn't know, man. <laughs> that's wild, man. Yeah. So, okay. Bro, grip balls? <laughs> grip, bro. <laughs> Martina. I was growing up grits balls about that big. It was wild. I'm wild. That's the praying woman right there, man. <laughs> praying woman. I ain't never did that to nobody. I'm still waiting to try to do that. Man. Wow, that's wild. But um, all right. So that happened, and Michael was like, I gotta go to this church. So he started going. And then you started going, and y'all were like trying to take this thing serious. And then like the school got shut down and the church got shut down. So like I don't know, what was your walk like once? that consistent discipleship kind of like went away? Well, it was weird because we'd have conversations with God. I feel like we encountered the demonic a whole lot more. Like Michael has crazy stories. He said, I was floating in my bed, like out the bed. And he was screaming, Corey, Corey. And then I hit the mattress, boom, and I wake up and I'm like, shut up, stop screaming. Like I'm trying to sleep. <laughs> but Michael, so during this whole time, Michael, I honestly think Buddy was possessed. Like he, there was, I'm, I, I'm not playing. One of the first times it happened that I, I recognized was even before we started going to church, I had stole a piece of his pizza that he had bought with his own money and you know, Michael don't play with his food. So he grabbed a knife and started chasing me around the kitchen table. I ended up running, opening our screen door with him right behind me and jumping off our second floor balcony, like on my, on my stomach, like boom, hit the ground. I, I walk up, I'm lipping. I take off running down the street and I got an amazing distance on him. Michael, he's faster than me, but he ain't this fast. I'm probably 60, 70 yards in front of him. And he catches up to be like that. Mm. But he doesn't get close enough to touch me with the knife. So he can catch up to me within moments. I'm talking like, but then it was like this person in front of us, the spirit of God. It had to be. That was protecting him from killing me. And so even after we got saved, there was so many more moments like that. Like, I cannot count how many times Michael tried to kill me growing up over stuff like that, but he could never get close enough to me. And so it was a super weird time because I know I prayed more during that time than I had prayed any other time before growing up. And it wasn't just the Our Father, which are in heaven prayer, but it was like intentional prayers, like God, bless my mom and give her a better job or give her a raise and God, do this for my friends. But then I go out and I'm beating folks up. But then I go home and I'm on my knees praying again, you know? And so it was a 
unique walk, but I'm grateful because I felt like that kind of cemented me a little bit. And while there was this void in relationship with God and I, because of my lifestyle, those prayers that I had were honestly seeds that I was planting for myself and didn't even realize it. Mm. Wow. Can you talk a little bit about how when you were first at the Walton's church and they were basically saying, you can't do this, you can't do that, you can't do this, you can't, like all, like a whole list of things that you can't do. Now that you've been walking with God for longer, can you talk a little bit more about, from the perspective of like Christianity not being so much of a restrictive thing as it is a freeing thing and not to be, for people who are still maybe out there in the world or who are still kind of like teetering on the line, for them not to like hold back from like, growing in God or like going all the way because they're afraid of like all these things that they're going to lose. Yeah. Trying to recollect back to when I was 14. (laughs) I don't think it was so much more as you can't do this, rather that these are things that stop you from getting closer to God, or these are things that prevent you from entering into a closer and deeper relationship with him. But it was all the things that we were doing. And so it was like, wow, like I didn't realize that these were some of the things that can push me away from God. And so while the smoking and drinking and sex, and I mean, I could go down a list of all kinds of things that uh, like alcohol, obviously, and that's not done in moderation. Like if you're drunk or you've made a habit of drinking all the time and I mean, that stuff is, I mean, it, it's its a crutch. Like you're, it becomes an idol and it becomes sin if done in a crazy amount of consumption. But leaving that, I guess, like legalistic, this is a sin and that is a sin. And because I was in the lifestyle of that and entering into grace and understanding how Jesus actually treated his disciples and treated those that he came in contact with. Jesus never walked up to him and there was no condemnation or he wasn't on their head. It was always, it was always a grace. It was always a nugget, like boom, which left them with the choice to respond like the woman at the well. But Jesus there for one, he shouldn't have been there. Then the conversation he has with this woman, she starts talking about her husband and Jesus is like, no, you're five husbands. So he's getting deep and she's like, whoa, you know, like, oh, snap. I could imagine. She's like, how did you know that? And he's like, I'm the son of God. But anyways, (laughs) he tells her, I will give you water that you may not thirst anymore. He could have dogged her and been like, you harlot. You know what I'm saying? Like called her all these biblical, like harlot is hoe in the Bible days. You know, he could have called her, he could have dogged her and really been on her top. Like you sleeping with all these men, like you need to stop doing that because if you want to spend eternity in heaven with me, then you need to stop sleeping around and you need to, all this. He could have dogged her. But instead, he was like, you're looking for something and you're looking for it in all the wrong places. Take this, this water, my living water, and that you will not thirst anymore. Jesus started the whole thirsty thing. Like, are oh, you thirsty? Like thirst traps, all that. Like that came from the Bible. You know what I'm saying? So he offered her him. He offered her life that was better, that was different than what she had. And there was no condemnation. Or let's go to Peter, you know, when they came to arrest Jesus, when Judas betrayed him, Peter was there. For one, Peter was walking around with a gun. If this was 2021, 
Peter would have had a Glock on him. He wasn't playing. Peter would have had the, he would have been carrying that thing. He had a sword on him. So when the soldier came up to take Jesus, Peter sliced, he cut off his ear. And this is Peter walking with Jesus for three years. And Peter was still a thug. Peter was me. I'm Peter. <laughs> Peter was a gangster. He tried to kill somebody for Jesus. He the only disciple that could say that. Like, bro, I tried to kill somebody for you, Lord. Like, what's up? <laughs> and Jesus looked at Peter and said, hey, bro, you live by the sword, you die by the sword. That little correction, little correction pierced the heart of Peter. You know what I'm saying? And then he picked the, the ear up and put it back on the dude's face. Like, here you go, bro. And there's a few other moments. The woman who was caught in adultery and Jesus said, you without sin cast the first stone, looked at her and said, get up and sin no more. He didn't call them names. His tone with them, I could imagine, was very peaceful, was very affirming, was very uplifting. And after reading those and learning those, it completely changed how I saw how Jesus, for one, treated people. But then how, if he treats them like that, then he must be that same way for me. And because sin often comes with grief, it comes with shame, it comes with all these emotions that it's good. It causes us to repent, but sometimes they linger too long and they cause us to fall even further or they cause us to run away from God. And so my perspective on the legalism and the what you can't and can't do is like, man, God, he knows where we're at for one and the Holy Spirit convicts. And so oftentimes I don't need to, yes, if I'm discipling or I'm ministering to somebody, there's certain things about their lives that I should say, but it's the Holy Spirit's job to do the convicting. It's my job to help disciple and help pull them out of there with practical steps. Like, bro, dang, you struggling with this? All right, let me show you. These are some things that you can do to get out of that while God is also working in their hearts. I hope that answers the question. Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, because a lot of times, yeah, we're just looking at kind of like this list of to-do, like this is the good list, this is the bad list. But yeah, definitely like seeing how Jesus handled people as he was confronting them on their sin. And it wasn't even really confrontational. Like you said, it was Mm -hmm. just with peace, with grace, with truth, and just like seeing it in that light as opposed to however we just assume God is gonna treat us in a moment which really just are not knowing who he is. Because if we knew who he was, we would never even have half the thoughts that we have of all the shame and guilt and condemnation and things like that. But just in like wrapping up, if you could pick just one thing that you would want the listeners and now the viewers just to take away from your story, what would that one thing be? Just the great extent that God goes to capture us. I feel like we can all go back and look at different things that should have turned out differently than they were. And I feel like God gets the credit for that. And so even in our wicked days, God still has grace. He shines down. He does things for us. I mean, that's in scripture, you know, and even now he's orchestrating things and lining things up for our favor, for our good. He literally works Like the reason why I'm on this podcast today, even sharing what I've shared is because I've gone through that stuff. That's full circle. That's full circle. Like I'm able to share all the craziness and share of testimony and what God has done for me 
because I have answered his call and I'm following it. I wouldn't be here if I, you wouldn't have asked me to come on this podcast if I wasn't. And so if there's one thing, it's just the great extent that he goes. And there was a song that I wrote when I was a part of City Lights called What You Did For Me. And it was about if God did it, then he will do it again. Like if God did something for you then, and you know it was God, he will continue doing it. So let's not act like he won't. Let's not be like, oh God, you ain't show up just because it wasn't today when we really wanted it or when we thought we needed it. Because like I said, all things work together. Every struggle that I've had has come full circle. It's come right, whatever I struggled with or was frustrated with or the money that I didn't have. So I lost this or couldn't pay this or this happened or I got in this car accident or whatever. Like literally everything negative in our life, he makes work for our good. It's just about our perspective. There's a different walk that you have with God when you understand there is nothing bad that happens to you that God doesn't make work for our good sometime in the future. Sometimes it's quick, sometimes it's years. And I'm like, dang, God, that's crazy how you brought that back for me, for me, you know? And so I think that's it. Facts, facts. That's dope. So, all right. You got any new music coming out soon? What's happening? I do. I have, if I'm being honest, I've been in this slump, this kind of funk um, in life. There's been a lot of negative things and bad things that have been happening, not, not only with my health, but job stuff and little things that have just thrown me completely off and my focus off. Uh, but I was just in Tulsa for about 11 days working on some new stuff. Uh, I got a dope song called Necessary Endings that will be coming out of this season that I've been in. And the song is really about how some things are necessary to end and how much damage and things that come from us holding on to stuff that we know we should have been let go of. I got a song called Culture that I'm dropping. I'm trying to get one day and hold hey. yeah. <laughs> Evan is producing everything again. That's my boy. Beast, the Ooh. goat. I got a joint with Shepard. Oh man, called Loud. I'm hoping it'll be Shepard and Derek Minor. Ooh, that joint might be fire. <laughs> So yeah, yeah I, got some, I got some stuff coming. My plan is my plan is May. That's what's up. So people, while you're waiting on the new singles to drop, check out the album that's already out. Tell them about the album that's already out. It's fire. You I, talked about story. <laughs> it's called The Blackout. Yeah. I wrote the album to encourage and inspire the body of Christ to get out and live the Great Commission. And so some of the songs reflect that and others just reflect different stories of life, and they hit on subjects that I feel appeal to those who aren't really walking with God. I have several friends that there are key songs that they listen to, but I wrote it just so they would listen to them. Like Levels is one of them. Like my boy's son, I wrote, he's in jail right now, but I wrote that song for him. And because it relates to, you know, like guys who were living in that lifestyle, like, oh, I got guns and girls and drugs and all this stuff. They look and they're like, yo, I'm on, there's levels to this. You, you ain't on my level. And I know that. 
But I was also talking about my life is different. I live a different life than you. And I live for God. And so I threw those little messages in there, but still had the swag of what I'm on ain't the same thing that y'all on. And so, yeah, the album is a, it's my first project that I released as a solo artist and it's, it's dope. It's fire. He's not lying. Yeah, it's fire. Like, I remember when it first came out, like listening to it over and over again. And then like the launch party was lit. And then, you know, you chill out for a minute. You stop listening to it for a minute. And then like I re-listened to the whole thing and I'm like, yo, like every time I listen to the album, there's a new favorite song. Like now I'm probably about to go re-listen to it again. And I don't have a new favorite song, but like, you know, it's fire when you can re-listen to the album over and over again and you ain't skipping tracks. So like, I'm not saying this because I know him because like, I could have just not brought up the album at all, but <laughs> but no, for real, y'all, for real. If you need good Christian hip hop, um, I know a lot of people like hip hop, but I don't know, some Christian rap is corny. <laughs> people be looking for stuff where they can like, you're listening to all this secular music and you're trying to find something to replace it with. So if you are a fan of rap, I'm telling you, Corey's album, The Blackout, check it out, for real, for real. We'll be, wait, we'll be waiting for them singles too, so. Yes, ma'am. Yep. Well, thank you for being on here. I really appreciate your time Absolutely. and sharing so much. Like, I knew you had a story, but bruh. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening to another episode of the Testimony Service Podcast. I'm going to drop all of Corey's information in the episode description. So be sure to follow him on social media and follow him for all of his music. Of course, we will be back, as always, next Wednesday for a new episode. But instead of leaving you with a teaser, I'm going to go ahead and let this episode end with a piece of his song, Story. So check this out. See, I can show you what pain is. Come take a ride, you can roll with me. Go with me, I'll show you what the king is. Pulling fed lies from the hood. Pops was locked doing time for the crimes in the hood. Moms was working to the towns, nine to fives to the raw. To provide wasn't easy, bringing up such a hell raising child. I praise God that I saw the light. That's real talk. I should have been dead, but I'm here though. Had to learn to let go and let them steer though. Wasn't hard to tell what was at the end of my road. Too many times my life flashed, but I survived. Cold still against my head between my eyes. I thank him for the whiteout. Now I'ma give him everything I got before his lights out. You'll never catch me in the hideout. See me with the lumbar, I'ma swing until I strike. Where I've been through, where I came from. My story, your story ain't the same one. The challenges we face, the lies, destruction may have similarities, but still there's disparities. What I've been through, where I came from. My story, your story ain't the same one. The challenges we face, the lies, destruction may have similarities, but still there's disparities.